So uh, just, to, just to, to recap, we're doing our Old Testament overview. We talked uh, last week about the, the first nine plagues, uh, and, and today looking at the tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn. Uh, undoubtedly the most devastating of all of the uh, ten plagues. So as we looked at last week, we were trying to uh, really just kind of focus on a couple of things. One was this, as, as God administered the plagues, we looked at this refrain that we saw over and over again, by this you will know that I am the Lord. God was doing something, it wasn't just punishment, he wasn't just uh, being vindictive, he was declaring to the people of Egypt, he was declaring to the people of Israel that he uh, is God and he's God alone. And then the other statement that we looked at repeated, not as often, but still repeated <clears throat> throughout the nine, ten plagues, was that God was making a distinction between Israel and between Egypt. That the people of Israel were a special people to God, that he had chosen them, uh, that they would be uh, used to uh, make his name great, they would be used to be a blessing uh, to the whole world. Um, and so Israel was distinct from Egypt. And then the other distinction was this, that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will find his mercy and his grace. And that was evidenced even in the plague uh, of, the, of the hail when uh, Moses told Pharaoh, look, your people can be saved if they, if they take refuge, if they take shelter, uh, they'll be okay. But if they stay out in the field, they'll be struck down by the hail. And so some sought refuge and were uh, saved and others were destroyed by the hail. So we're gonna see another uh, similar offer today. Uh, if you believe and if you obey, you can find rescue, you can find uh, redemption. So uh, just uh, maybe just one comment before we get started. Some might say, uh, that the, the death of the firstborn across all the land, how could a good and loving God do something like that? You ever have, you ever have anybody ask you, I don't know what they ask you, but they start, well, how could a good God, you know, you fill in the blank, you, you, you interact with people that wonder and that have questions. Um, so I, I think we, we've tried to, I tried to emphasize that a little bit last week, and we'll see it again this week, God was just not out to strike down the Egyptians. He was out to rescue his people. Uh, up, up until the, the death of the firstborn uh, plague that we're looking at this morning, God gave them nine opportunities to submit and to yield and to, be, to, to say, okay, uh, you're, you're God, I'm not. The people can go. And yet they, they uh, refused. And in fact, uh, before the hail was sent, God instructed Moses to say this to Pharaoh, I could have cut you off from the earth by now if I wanted to. But what did he do instead? He said, take shelter and you'll, you'll be, re you'll be uh, saved from the hail. So um, God was giving warning, God was giving opportunity, God was uh, extending his grace and mercy if they would receive it, and yet we see that the Egyptians were refusing it. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, get into Exodus chapter 11. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, thank you that uh, we're, we can be here this morning to, to study it and understand it. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of who you are and what you've done for us as a result of our time here together this morning. And I just pray that your word would speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 11. 
Uh, we'll start in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And we mentioned this last week, the, the Egyptians were gonna load them up with silver and with gold and with jewelry and beg them to leave. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, now Moses is speaking to Pharaoh here. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There will be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And that's the distinction we were talking about last week. And all these, your servants, and all these your servants will come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So uh, these, these um, uh, 10 verses or so, uh, describe God speaks to Moses and then Moses speaks to Pharaoh. Uh, this is what's going to happen, essentially. Uh, the angel of the Lord is going to come and the firstborn all throughout the land uh, will be struck down in the night. Uh, and Pharaoh's going to say, get out. When I want to see you again, uh, all of you people, uh, are, are, just go. Take our gold, take our jewelry. And, uh, and you know the story, they, they leave uh, Egypt. And I, I do want to just make a comment. We, we're doing an overview, so we can't talk about everything, but I don't want to uh, think, oh, he kind of dodged that bullet, didn't he? <laughs> Let me just make a, a couple of comments here on verse 10. Uh, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a very interesting uh, study, not, and, and we're not really, that's not what we're talking about this morning, but it is worth taking a look at. Um, if you just took this one verse and, uh, uh, and, and read it, you would say, well, what choice did Pharaoh have? God hardened his heart, and so Pharaoh had to do what God made him do. Um, and yet, if you, if you look through this, this refrain that Pharaoh's heart was hardened was also repeated um, all throughout the, uh, the plague. So um, when you take a look at it, you'll realize there are two different Hebrew words for hardening. Uh, there's different verb tenses that are used. There's, uh, the verb is assigned to Pharaoh sometimes. The verb is assigned to God sometimes. And sometimes it's not assigned. We don't know who's doing the, the hardening. Uh, so uh, let me just say this, it would seem that at, at least in the initial plagues that Pharaoh was the one that was hardening his heart and in the later plagues that God was the one that was hardening his heart. So what, so what does it matter? Well, 
Um, you could say Pharaoh had no choice because God hardened his heart. Uh, but you could do this study on hardening and you could, I think uh, the conclusion that I come to is that Pharaoh rejected God. And, and one, of the, one of the very first things that Mo, uh, God says to Moses before Moses even went to Pharaoh is that his heart would be hardened. God knew that Pharaoh would harden his heart. Uh, and so I think um, instead of saying uh, Pharaoh had no choice uh, but to reject God because God hardened his heart, uh, I think you could say, and I, this, is, this is how I understand it, Pharaoh rejected God. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God and God strengthened Pharaoh's resolve. So there's a hardening both in, in two different ways. Anyways, you can do a study of that and come to your conclusion, uh, but I, I don't want us to say, well, Pharaoh had no choice because Pharaoh did have a choice in the matter. So Moses spoke to Pharaoh. He described the last plague uh, that God was gonna send, the death of the firstborn. No one would escape, it says, unless. And we're gonna read uh, what he says here in chapter 12. So chapter 12, verse one, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year for you. We mentioned last week, God's resetting the calendar year according to this event for the people of Israel. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man will take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor will take according to the number of persons, according to, each, uh, according to what each can eat. Uh, each of you will make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you will keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill their lambs at twilight. Then they will take some of the blood and put it uh, on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses which, in which they eat. They will, di- they will eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they will eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you will let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains in the morning you will burn." In this manner you will eat of it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you will eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All right, so these are God's instructions to Moses and Aaron that they were to pass along uh, to the people. These were the instructions for uh, their salvation, for their rescue of this 10th plague. And so a couple of the details we wanna look at. One in verse five, Uh, They were to choose a lamb. 
Uh, the lamb was to be without blemish. The lamb was to be from the best of the flock, not the diseased one, not the one with the broken leg that you're going to have to kill anyways, not the one, uh, not the runt of the litter, one without blemish. Uh, no lamb is perfect, but if, as the best you have, this was the lamb uh, that they would choose. It was to be a male lamb, uh, one year old, could be from the goats, it could be from the sheep. And so they were to take this, uh, they were to take this lamb. Now it's interesting that they take the lamb on the 10th day, they select the lamb on the 10th day, but they weren't going to eat it until the 14th day, the day of the Passover. So what were they going to do after the selection of the lamb? Did you see it in there? They're going to bring the lamb into the house. Now for us, when we read that today, you think, well, that'd be a novelty, wouldn't it? And, and does anybody even have any sheep? Anybody? Paul Robertson's not here. He has sheep. We don't even have sheep. But the people, for people of Israel, a, a lamb was not a novelty. They were, they were everywhere. They were shepherds. They were farmers. They raised livestock. They had lambs around. But how, how many farmers do you know keep their livestock in the house with them. So the, the, this, this lamb was to be uh, brought into the house, and I wonder, you know, did the kids want to give it a name? Uh, did they play with it? You know, was dad amused by this whole situation? Was he just frustrated that we got this animal uh, in the house? I'm not sure. Um, but I think that they would have gotten to know that lamb a little bit better than if the lamb was just out in the field. And I think that they, they knew this because they had, all, they, they had the entire set of instructions for Moses and Aaron. They were bringing this lamb into the house, and in a few days, they were going to eat it. And, and more than just eat it like a, a regular lamb, they were going to take the blood and they were going to uh, wipe it on the, on the doorposts and on the lintel. On the, on, their, on the door to their homes. And more importantly, if, if what Moses said was true, by applying the blood around the door frame, their firstborn son would live through the night. So this is a special lamb that they've brought into the house. We'll just go back a couple verses, three and four. Um, it's interesting, there's a, there's a, there's a, like a degree of efficiency that's being described. Uh, when we, when our family gets together and we were, we had chili, uh, we had chili on Thursday night, but we did chili again last night. And uh, as usual, there was more food than we could eat. Not as bad yesterday as some nights, but I mean, you talk about Thanksgiving, you talk about Christmas, and everybody comes, and everybody uh, brings enough for everybody, it seems like, which means you have all this food left over, and we eat, and we play games, and we uh, sit on the couch, and we laugh, and we talk, and we just enjoy. That's not, that's not what's being described here for the Passover. So first of all, uh, they're doing a careful count. You know, how many people are coming? How much, uh, or how many people are in our household, and how much lamb will each of us eat? Boy, we're going to have a lot of lamb left over. 
All right, so they weren't thinking about what they would do with the leftovers. They were finding another household and say, hey, why don't we put our two households together? We're gonna, so we have, we have just what we need. We won't have extra, uh, but we'll have uh, what we need. So some households combined for this meal, um, and they, they just prepared uh, what they could eat uh, at that meal. And then there's, uh, there, there's uh, the instructions, I think it starts in, in, uh, in verse 11, on how they're going to eat this. You're going to eat it with their belts on, right? With, their, we, we, with, with our go bags ready, so to speak. Um, they're going to have their shoes on, which would not be cultural for them. They wouldn't wear shoes in the house. They're going to have their staff uh, in their hands. Uh, they're going to eat it in haste. So they're not lounging, they're not, you know, it's like, let's grab a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because we got to go. And so there was a, this idea that they weren't, they weren't settling in for a good time. They were having one last meal before they began their journey. Uh, so just another thing uh, here at the end of verse 11, after these, these unusual instructions to eat it with your belt on, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you're going to eat it quickly. But then the last little phrase there, it is the Lord's Passover. They were, they were eating this meal as an act of worship towards God, not because they were having a party and a good time uh, for themselves. And this is why it was an act of worship, because God was coming and said in verse 12, I will pass through the land that night, and I will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And in case, in case they hadn't figured it out with the first nine plagues, it says, um, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God says that finally, they're gonna, they, they might, maybe haven't gotten it. Maybe they've seen it and they've uh, refused to believe it or they haven't acted on it. But after tonight, they will know that I am the Lord. So, of course, the blood's going to go on the, on the doorposts. And when, when uh, the angel of the Lord comes through the land that night, when, the, when he saw the blood on the doorpost, he'd pass over that house, um, and the, the firstborn of that household would be saved. So one more thing I want to just note from this meal uh, before we talk about the significance of this Passover for us, it comes in verse 8. Um, and it says, They'll eat the, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they will eat it. This is the very first mention of unleavened bread uh, in the Bible, but it is not the last. It's mentioned um, all throughout scriptures, it's, it's re- referred to. So for the people of Israel preparing this Passover meal, uh, they're preparing the lamb, uh, they're, they, they're seasoning with bitter herbs, and they have this instruction from Moses and Aaron, don't let, don't let the bread rise. It's gonna be, this is gonna be, you're gonna eat it with flat bread. Strictly an act of faith for the people of Israel at this point. They have no, no idea. What, why would God want us to do that? Why is, why is Moses and Aaron, Aaron asking us uh, to do this? They wouldn't know. Uh, there was no significant at the time. Um, but... We understand the significance because we have all of Scripture. And so um, what we see as we, as we continue to read that they were going to celebrate the Passover meal, and this would be the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So not only would they 
uh, not eat bread that had uh, risen on that day, but for seven days they would eat unleavened bread. Uh, So when we're reading this, um, just picture with me, they're not talking about going to the cabinet and throwing out all the yeast so the bread wouldn't rise. It's more of a, think more of um, sourdough bread or your friendship bread recipes. And what do you do but you, you save some of the dough and that becomes the starter for the next loaf. Um, and so, it, you know, the, whatever cultures are in that dough continue to grow. And, and, and so um, they, they're going to break that cycle and start with unleavened bread. So just, just read with me uh, again a little bit more as we want to see the significance of this. In chapter 12 still, verse 17. This is after the, you've eaten the Passover. And God says to him, uh, this, this is something you're going to do Every year, at the beginning of each year, this is the beginning of the calendar year, and in the first year of the month, you're going to eat the Passover, and for a week, you're going to eat unleavened bread. You will observe the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, for on this day, I brought you, your hosts, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you will observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, You will eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. This is serious serious business. Whenever he, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you will eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you will eat unleavened bread. Very specific to not eat uh, leavened bread, but to, to only eat unleavened bread. Uh, let's keep reading, uh, if, if you will, jump down to chapter 13 with me. Um, in, in the rest of chapter 12, the 10th the of, or excuse me, the 10th um, the plague, the death of the per- firstborn takes place. Uh, much wailing and mourning and crying. The Egyptians said to the people, you need to go, we, 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 wanna, we want you out of here. Uh, God said to the people of Israel, remember that you're going to do the Passover in the first month of the year. Every year you're going to uh, commemorate what's happening with the Passover. And then this Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Moses said to the people in uh, verse 3 of chapter 13, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to give your father, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you will keep this service in this month. And he repeats the instructions. Seven days unleavened bread. Uh, seven days it's a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread will be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread will be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. This, are you getting the repetition here uh, with me? You will tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it will be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. 
So the combination of the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was to be an annual um, uh, meal and, and celebration and feast that they were up to observe to commemorate when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. They were never to forget the events leading to this deliverance. So what's the big deal? I think just as much as it's uh, uh, for the people of Israel to never forget what God did for them, I think there is, um, there's some truth in there for us as well. And as you, as you read through your Bible, uh, you'll see both Egypt and Levin uh, are symbolic for sin. They're sy- symbolic for evil. They're symbolic for slavery. Um, Egypt more so for slavery. And so if we apply this metaphor to what we just read, and what, we, what are we talking about? God delivered the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, and they were to leave, leave the leaven behind and to go out without any leaven uh, as, they, as they set off for this new life. So it's a historical reality that depicts a spiritual reality. So what's the spiritual reality? Well, when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are delivered from the bondage of sin. And uh, what, did, what did Jesus say to the, to the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. How, do, how are we to live this new life that we have in Christ? We are to leave our old life behind and we are to, to walk forward, leaving the sin of our old life behind us. Now, we don't always get that right, but this is the picture. This is what God has for us. This is what um, God wants uh, for us as a, as a people of God. Uh, and and uh, just transparency, the, the, in my study, someone made note of this, this comparison between leaving Egypt without leaven and starting our new Christian life without sin, and I did not make a note of who that was. So if you want to know who that was, I can find that for you. Let me know. But there are also some parallels between the Passover, other, pass, or other parallels between the Passover and our salvation. In, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus uh, came into the public site and he was, uh, it was the day he was going to be baptized or the day before he was going to be baptized, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. Why would he do that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 calls Jesus Christ our Passover Lamb who's been sacrificed. Jesus was the Passover lamb for you and for me. If we think about those who experienced the, the, that very first Passover, um, probably in the morning they would have heard crying, they would have heard weeping, they would have heard mourning, they would have heard wailing from these homes that had not applied the blood to the, to the, to the door frames. And I think this would have been burned into their memory. The, the wailing and the weeping in the morning as they left with their firstborn. And why did they leave with their firstborn and these others were devastated with the loss of their firstborn? They had taken the lamb and they had applied the blood on the doorposts. And I, I, can, just, I can just imagine that this must have been burned in their memory. 
So I want to I want to give us two theological terms. We've talked about them before, that are demonstrated in the Passover, uh, but are also true for us in our salvation. And the first one is propitiation, right? So propitiation, it's mentioned in the in First uh, John. It is an offering that turns away the wrath of God. In other words, uh, God sees an offering and he is satisfied. And so in 1 John 4.10 it says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So in other words, we have, as, as sinners, we deserve the wrath of God. As sinners, we have earned uh, the penalty of death. And yet, God looks at what Jesus did for us on the cross, and he's satisfied. That's propitiation. So, uh, if, we, if, if you want to turn, if you're still there in Exodus, Exodus 12, verse 23, says this, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. So when the Lord was, was going through the land that night, when he saw the blood on the doorposts, he was satisfied. A lamb had been slain, the blood had been applied, and the firstborn was saved. This is, this is exactly what, how God looks at us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We're like the firstborn. We deserve death. And yet Jesus died in our place and, and God is satisfied in, in Jesus' death and his payment for our sin. Second term is substitutionary atonement. And this, I, this is the idea that Jesus died as a substitute. All right, so we are the ones that deserve to die, but instead he died in our place and we received his righteousness. There is an exchange. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about it. He says, for our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was a perfect lamb. Jesus knew no sin. Just like the Passover lamb was to be without blemish, Jesus was perfect. Fully God, fully human, lived a life without sin. So he put our sin on Jesus who knew no sin so that in Jesus we would become the righteousness of God. There's a substitution there. There's an exchange. We get God's righteousness, Jesus takes our sin on him. And so this is what we're seeing in the account of the Passover. It's an exchange. A lamb was killed, blood was applied, and the firstborn was saved. If, if no lamb was killed, then the firstborn died. And so the lamb was the exchange for the firstborn all throughout the lamb. And again, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for you. He was sacrificed for me. There's, there's other things that we could uh, look at, but maybe we'll just consider, I said we were going to take communion this morning. Uh, we'll consider a, a Passover that took place uh, many years later, maybe 2,500 years later. Uh, the people of Israel were observing the Passover as the first month of the year. And Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the upper room to partake of the Passover together. They were there to remember the deliverance uh, 
that God gave to the people of Israel from Egypt. This, that's when we talk about Jesus in the upper room, we think of communion. But they were gathered to remember what God had done to their people, how, they had, how God had rescued them, how God had delivered them. And so the disciples don't really have an understanding. Uh, they have some idea of things are, things are happening, but they don't understand that tomorrow Jesus would die and three days later he would rise from the dead. Uh, so they're gathered together to have this meal to remember God's mighty um, power, the, the mighty way in which God had moved on behalf of their people, and Jesus changes 2,500 years of tradition. We want to read it. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26, as they were eating, as they were partaking of the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, was preparing to go to the cross and be the sacrifice for all of mankind. And Jesus said, uh, I want you to, to not just remember what God did for our people uh, in Egypt, but I want you to remember forever what I'm about to do for you tomorrow. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be the sacrifice. My blood is the blood that will be shed. Your sins will be forgiven if you believe and if you trust me. Now, Jesus didn't say all those things, but as we study scripture, this is, this is, this is what we understand uh, Jesus' death on the cross to mean. So instead of uh, partaking in Passover on a regular basis, we partake in communion, remembering um, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus' willingness to suffer and die for your sins, his, his willingness to die for my sins. We, are, we have been delivered from the bondage of sin, and we are called to walk in newness of life. So the, the, this morning, we're going to close by taking uh, communion together. And normally when we do communion, you, by now you'd all have your wafer and, and your juice, and be, it's, it's very much a, uh, a personal and um, individual uh, time with the Lord. It's a time of thanksgiving for what Jesus had done. Sometimes, uh, I hope for you, you, you you're thinking about uh, life and, and where you've been with the Lord, where you want to be with the Lord. Maybe it's a time of confession as you spend some time with the Lord. And we're going to provide opportunity for that. But as I was preparing this, what really struck, uh, stood out to me was the, the, the community feel of the Passover, especially the first Passover. But it was, wasn't an individual event, it was a, an event for families and it was an event for uh, the community. And they, they took care of each other. You know, if, if your family was small, you'd go in with another family and you make sure everyone was taken care of. And so this morning we're going to do communion a, a, little bit, uh, a little bit different than what we uh, normally do. And, and we, have the, we have the elements at the front and two tables. We have the elements in the back uh, with two tables. And so um, to, to I, my prayer anyways is to feel a sense of community um, We'll, we've got the elders that are going to help, and, and Mike and um, Larry will be in the center aisle, and they're going to dismiss you by row. So the front rows will, will come to the, 
uh, front, get the elements, and then sit back down. And then the second row will, will do the same. And Larry will be dismissing from the back. The back will go and get their elements and circle around and get their elements and circle around. So if you're sitting there waiting for your uh, turn to get the elements, it's a time of, of prayer. It's a time of thanksgiving for what Jesus done, a time of confession of, of your sin, a time of uh, remembering what God has done for you, not just on the cross, but throughout your life. And maybe if you're the first one to get the elements, then you could sit down and, and consider some of those things. Um, probably there's maybe some this, this morning that m- maybe not so steady on your feet as you used to be, or maybe you got little ones that are a little restless, or the, you know your hands aren't as steady, and you think, oh, this is going to be, this is a community event, so you can just nudge the person beside you and say, hey, would you be able to get the elements for me, or if we walk together, will you carry the juice and I'll carry the, the wafers, or let's take care of each other. And let's, uh, let's take communion in this way this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Uh, the elders are going to be at the tables, and, and, uh, and you'll be dis- dismissed a row at a time to, to get the elements. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this account in your word about the Passover. And as we, as we look at what happened there for the people of Israel, uh, we recognize that you arranged history uh, thousands of years before Jesus' death on the cross, but you arranged history so that it it would be a demonstration for us of what was to come. And as we look into your word and we we see how it fits together, we we acknowledge that you have a a plan for this world, you have a plan uh, for your people, Uh, you have a desire that people would come to know who you are. And so Lord, as we um, gather this morning for this time of communion, We want to remember your goodness to us. We want to remember your willingness to go to the cross. Lord, we want to acknowledge that we we needed you to go to the cross in our sin. Uh, We're thankful that you paid the price for our sin. And so, Lord, as we uh, uh, take this time to to collect the, the elements and consider what you've done, I pray that we, just our hearts would be turned towards you. Uh, that we would uh, acknowledge what you've done and we would be thankful for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name.